This is the Doctor Who podcast. You are most welcome. Hello and welcome to episode 85 of the Doctor Who podcast. Now, James has cried sick. Trev claims to be a little bit unwell, so I've managed to get a friend out of his box to actually record this one with me. So, have a seat. I think we've got some new biscuits in, and we'll get on with episode 85. Right, hello, welcome to episode 85 of the Doctor Who podcast. Now, it's been an interesting evening. I don't know what happened with you chaps out there, but I was sat about at half past six yesterday evening, not really knowing what to do. I tried watching the uh, So You Think You Can Dance final, but it wasn't quite the same as watching the old man and his two companions floating around the, the universe writing wrongs. So I'm very, very pleased to be joined out of his box from across the ocean by Chip from the two minute time lord hello chip hello tom it's so good to share a microphone with you for a change it's like you know it's it, i hadn't realized that we haven't actually recorded together I, i've listened to so much of your work um and i know i've edited some of the uh, some of the contributions you've made to the dwp as well but it hadn't occurred to me that we hadn't recorded together it's it, it's quite nice actually i must say i i i am I'm, I'm enjoying it already i'm having a blast now as i say um the other two have decided to have a bit of a, a bit of a lie down because, frankly, they've been working, well, relatively hard, I suppose. So, Tom, be 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 honest. They knew I was coming. <laughs> well, see, this is it. They can't fight. T- two men fighting on the side of reason cannot be back. Cannot be battened back by talking about <laughs> how much they didn't like RTD or how much they didn't like the episode. The, the, the enthusiasm that we have to offer may just put them off and turn them to dust. <laughs> Uh, sorry, what I meant to say was, hey Trev, hey James, missing you already, um, see you next week. But in the meantime, um, this particular podcast is going to be going to be looking back over the first half of uh, season six. So Matt, Matt Smith's second season, uh, Stephen Moffat's second season. Rather than going through the plots of each particular episode, what I'm kind of keen to do is to look at what's actually happened. Perhaps if we treat this as uh, one huge story, which I think is really what's going on with Doctor Who anyway, we can have a look at what this last long six... I, I'd like to look at this as like a seven-part episode, um, to mm. be honest with you, but, but, but we'll see how we get on. Before we get into doing any real dissection, what, what's your overall feeling about this particular season? Did, did you find it light? Did you find it dark? Did you find it interesting? How did you find it? Um, I found it on BBC America. <laughs> I found it enjoyable. Mm. And yet there are aspects of this puzzle box style of storytelling that I'm not certain I enjoy since I know that this is your bread and butter. Um, you know, I, I hope we can, I hope we can explore that a bit. What I watch Doctor Who for is something that is possibly not the same as a lot of fans. I like 
as I said in my last podcast, awe and wonder, um, a certain amount of spectacle, a certain amount of opera, both uh, space opera and soap opera. This is not uh, Moffat's emphasis uh, at all, and I think that, uh, you know, it's not fair to criticize him for it, for telling a different kind of story, particularly a a kind of story that uh, really uh, appeals to a lot of classic series fans. I'm having a little bit more trouble engaging with the characters um, than uh, than I used to, okay. um, and I, it it feels like there is a story to be told, there are secrets to be revealed, there is a massive important structure to the story. Yes, and. I don't tend to go into my fiction trying to decode it, which is something that I get the feeling that is just second nature to you, Tom. Well, okay, that, 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 that's a, I'll read that as a compliment, actually. It, it's strange. I watch Doctor Who on two levels at the same time. I mean, I, I, I love Doctor Who because it reverts me back to being seven or eight. And I see the colours, and I see the broad strokes, and I see um, the, the monsters, and I see the effects, and, it's, and, that, and that's lovely. But then, but at the back of my head, there's a there's a thirty plus year old brain which is putting everything in its place and trying to make sense of it all. Well, you know, and we know the human brain does that; it likes to make uh, order out of chaos. And what I see with it, what I see with this story is something I I, I kind of I thought was being inferred. In say late Tom Baker, you'd you know, you'd watch the whole season, so you'd watch all of season seventeen and all of season eighteen. But there was an un- really since the Key to Time season, to me there always seems to have been some sort of underlying theme, something drawing all the, all the strands of the storytelling together. Even if it was such, such in season eighteen that the lead actor was leaving, and in every story there seemed to be an attempt to kill the Doctor. Um, you know, in each in each story in that season there was what what appeared to be the end of the Doctor until he got to the very end of it. Now, when I look at, say, Russell T. Davis and Stephen Moffat, these are writers who grew up on the same version of Doctor Who as I did, and who have managed to translate it into um, the multi-textual type of storytelling which is absolutely necessary for the 21st century so when Mm. we see um, uh, overriding season arcs, when we see things like Bad Wolf, then we have to have ways of rewarding casual view, of of involving casual viewers, but also rewarding long term viewers as well, now that can come in terms of a story arc which starts in episode 1 and finishes in episode 13 that can come in the form of character development, that can come in the the form of um, just all sorts of wonderful narrative threads but we have to have a different way of telling stories than the, I've got to be careful how I phrase this, um, than the perhaps two-dimensional way that was the case with old Doctor Who. Um, oh, the people with the pitchforks are after you already. Good. Let them come. Let them come. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned character development in this season, which I think is one of the, which, which is something which really marks this show, marks modern Doctor Who, Uh, apart from old Doctor Who. I mean, I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, one of the things with companions in old Who, by far and away the majority of them, is that they'd they'd have an incredibly interesting intro story, and then very shortly after that, they'd have difficulty remembering what had happened from one week to the next. Um, I think Tegan was a, a, an example of that, where it didn't, where she just about got away with <laughs> remembering what had happened from one week to the next. But everyone else had a bit of a broken memory, it seemed. And, and uh, it's a, it's a very famous complaint from from Who actors and actresses that their characters tended to get reduced to, "Ooh, Doctor, what Doctor? How do I do that, Doctor? Ooh, look," right. and so on. That's really not happening with modern Doctor Who. And 
I do feel that there are certain um, mature consumers of the show who are uncomfortable with that. Um, yes, okay, the RTD years when we were talking about the families, that was new and unusual and strange. Because frankly, why hadn't it occurred to anyone for the last 30-odd years that the families might get concerned about where their kids had gone, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, the characters, it wasn't important in the old days. Up until, I mean... You had uh, you had uh, you did have Tegan remembering from time to time, you know, uh, beginning an episode concerned about the Mara from the previous episode, mm. you know, little bits in the crowded TARDIS days yeah, yeah, yeah. of continuity. I'm and I'm not as well versed in the classic series as you are, but I'm having a hard time thinking of a character of of a Doctor Who character mm. with that kind of importance of backstory and um, knowing who the person is and seeing mm. the character as a person other than Sophie Aldred as Ace. Okay, and that's interesting. Do, do you do you consume much Big Finish as well? Um, I I am a um, dilettante okay. Big Finish. Yeah, that, that's cool. That makes sense to me. I mean, because what, what I'm thinking is Sophie, Ace's character, Sophie Aldred, is one of the very few from the old, if, if not the only one, from the old series, who's actually done it had any kind of flesh put on her bones and, and has become anything anything more than a character. Certainly, um, the only the only companion character to rival the Doctor in terms of reveal, development, reaction, dimension, that sort of, you know, and to be actually become a, a standalone character in her own right. The, the, the others, which is no reflection on the quality of the acting or the right, well, perhaps the writing, it's not quali- no reflection on the quality of the acting. Don't tend to step out of the shadows because it is all about the Doctor. Um, it's all about the Doctor and the plot. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's very plot-centric. Plot uh, what we're getting now in uh, Series 5 and 6, it's a return to plot-centered storytelling. Yes. Um, it's a return to... It, it, it's a creation, I think, of really intricate plotting, um, mm. which was not a hallmark of uh, Russell's series, although um, you you could always find clues. We had situations in Series 5 where Rory and Amy were constantly getting rebooted. Yes. Um, and that, for me, made it hard for me to relate to them as characters because they served they served the interest of the pl- of the plots. Okay. Um, Amy has this sort of relationship with Rory. Now she has no relationship with Rory. Um, you know, uh, in many respects, she was a cipher. One of the great things about Series 6 so far is that Rory and Amy have stabilized a little bit, uh, disintegrations into flesh notwithstanding. <laughs> um, you know, we have seen we've seen Rory as, I believe you guys talked about this last time, uh, we've seen Rory as much more capable, much more um, assertive, mm. and yet still a bit of a it's still still a little bit wet under certain circumstances. It's a little harder for me to nail down Amy Pond, who, as much as I adore Karen Gillan, is Amy a character or is she an element of the plot? Both, I think. Um, it, it, it's interesting. The phrase you used earlier on was puzzle box. And as, as I say, I, I hear complaints that the show, it, that this version of Doctor Who is a little bit too complex, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure that I tend to agree, to be honest with you. But Karen Gillan, you're right. It, it, it's she's she's clearly very talented because when I look at her or listen to her talking about her role, she's you're right. She's funny. She's engaging. She's articulate. She's 
great, you know, what an actress is supposed to be. But then I watch the character of Amy, and it's like, I really don't like you. I really, really don't like you. I don't know. Like, I don't like the way you interact. I don't like the way you react. I don't like what you appear to stand for. Um, I don't like the way you treat your treat your partner. I don't know. I, I don't like anything about her. But then I think, okay, well, hang on. I'm having this emotional reaction to the character, which means the actress can clearly do her job. But mm-hmm. it also probably means that this is the way that I'm supposed to react to her. The overriding arc of this, to me, or the underlying message overriding arc, whatever you like, seems to be about who you are in in certain in certain situations. That seems to be what the story is about. Um, who who really are you? I mean, for instance. Um, my friends would see me in a certain way my partner would see me in another way my parents would see me in another way my my colleagues would see me in another way um and this whole this whole season seems to be about that who are you when it comes down to it you know what 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 elements of you would you choose and say well that's definitely me because as i say looking at um, the character of amy uh, or at least the ganger of Amy, as you rightly say, that's a, pro- that's a projection of an aspect of her, and those aspects I really like. But when the whole thing is presented to me, as it was at the end of the season again, I just, I just thought, I really don't like you. I really don't like this character. It's, it's, it's important what you said about not liking a character, not necessarily being about, um, you know, whether that character is a good character or not. Um, mm. We don't want Amy Pond to become... Um, a bland, supportive. Uh, ooh, Doctor Look. Doe, doe <laughs> I. Oh, oh Doctor Look. Doe eyes at Rory. You know, Cipher. Mm. Admittedly, we don't know her as well as we got to know Rose Tyler or Martha Jones or Donna Noble. Mm. Um, excuse me. Sorry, the sainted Donna Noble. Oh, she's great. Um, she's great. Oh, yeah. She's kind of... We we don't get to we don't get to know Amy that well because. We don't have the we don't have the family backstory. We don't have the um, internal monologue type stuff. You know, again, these aren't the stories that we tell. Mm. We do we do get the sense that she is a little bit a little bit selfish. We get the sense that she's she's willing to manipulate Rory. Um, and this is more series five than series six, that sort of thing. But even the companions in Russell T. Davies episodes were not designed to be perfect or liked. Uh, he d- he says in the writer's tale that uh, you know the only character that he had who was completely unselfish was Martha Jones, and look what happened to her. Yeah. Um. You know. So Amy Pond is a complex character. She, just like the Eleventh Doctor, is harder to know than her predecessors because there's so much going on and so much mystery that's been layered up. Uh, and if you're into character-driven storytelling as opposed to plot-driven storytelling with interesting characters, Series 5 and 6 have been a little bit of a tougher slot. You mentioned something very important, and that's about the central character, about the Doctor being difficult to know. And to be honest, I, I've got to give it, I've got to hand it to Stephen Moffat, not only for the, you know, for the, the way he's turned Doctor from the, from uh, a travelling show, if you like, the, the circus, the carnival, into this dark, this dark thing. It's not, it's not exactly Babylon Five, but it's, it's heading out that way. I think uh, series one through four plus specials were Buffy, yeah. and I think series five through six are Lost at its best. Yes. And um, before you stop you know, caring about it, <laughs> until yeah, yeah, and and that and that's that's the fear with puzzle box storytelling. Um, 
the I don't think this is going to happen to Doctor Who, but um, Heroes is the thing that you've got to watch out for, where the plot intricacies are so important, and everybody gets really excited trying to decode it, and as the years go on, the plot gets lost, and it's still intricate, but uh, the characters don't make as much sense, and the arcs don't get sewn up as well. Mm. The, I don't think that's going to happen to Doctor Who, but that's the cautionary uh, example right there. Uh, you know, I, I think you're right. What, 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 I think Doctor Who is, uni- is almost unique uh, in drama terms, unless, of course, you think about continuing dramas like... Um... EastEnders and uh, Coronation Street and so on and so on. Uh, in as much as as soon as it starts to get a bit weird, you can just change the, change the lead character from production team. It might it might take a couple of years to, to rewire that, but it can be done. I derailed you. You were talking about the unknowable Matt Smith. Well, yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Um, what, what, what I like about the original Doctor Who, about William Hartnell, and, and watching it knowing how the story will go for the next 40 years, is how unknowable and un, almost... Un, in some cases, unlikable he is. And there's a moment where he's about to, in, in the first in the first story. There's a moment where he's about to to cave someone's head in with a rock. And it's like, okay, I don't know you. I'm not sure I like you, but you're fascinating. Um, and there's an element of that returning with Matt Smith. Don't, don't 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 get me wrong. David Tennant is clearly a fantastic actor. He's done he did remarkable things for the role. But his characterization was very emotional and very raw and quite unhinged, truth be told, where Matt, or the 11th Doctor, is, is more controlled and there's an element of mystery, mystery returning almost effort, effortlessly. Um, if we look back at the, uh, at the very, very end of the show, just before it was cancelled in the 80s, um, there was a move to return an element, of, an element of mystery to the Doctor, to make him unknowable, to make him strange and powerful. And, it, it was, and, it, and it, I, I guess it would have worked if they'd been allowed to develop it. But now, in, certainly with, with um, seasons five and six, it's back. I love the inside the at the end of the first story. It's there's any any doubt in my mind is dispelled about well, who is this character? Is he the Doctor? Will he make it? Can he do it? Oh yes, he can. Oh yes, he will. Because it's the same Doctor I've known for years, you know. And which the production team know, the writers all know. It just seems to be um, certain fans who forget it every <laughs> every three or four years when they get a new actor. But um, to me, he's definitely the Doctor, and more than that, I don't know who he is, which is. Perfect. I don't want to know his name. I like being threatened with being told, but I don't want to know his name. I don't want to know his family history. I don't want to know where he went to school. All I want to know is that I don't know him, and he's fascinating for that. And I, I applaud the return of that. It's a little harder for me. I didn't adore the um, mystery of the Doctor back when I watched it first. Okay. I'm used to other fiction where the lead character is more accessible. That said... Oh my God! How brilliant Matt Smith is. Yes. Um, the and and in those moments when we do see what's underneath, when he uh, starts yelling at Captain Runaway for um, mm. for take for harming the people he loves, mm. uh, when he breaks down into an emotional bubbling mess at the end of the Doctor's Wife, mm. you know, we get enough hints without having it. Um, telegraphed to us uh, the way it may have been in the tenant days. Um, you said that the um, theme of the last couple of years has been identity and who are you. Yes, I think so. And that's been true for Rory, um, your <clears throat> plastic pal who's fun to be with. Um, <laughs> That is true with uh, that's true with Amy, um, who's um, 
who is almost designed to be unknowable, and certainly was that way in Series 5. And of course it's true for the Doctor, um, both in terms of um, you know the Ganger plot line and um, just more broadly with this notion that's that was explored a little bit in RTD's run about is the Doctor the oncoming storm? Is that a good thing? Or is he a healer, a wise man, a helper. As much as I was a little disappointed by the end of A Good Man Goes to War because I didn't feel like it went far enough in terms of the Doctor falling and uh, facing his darkest hour, There's, I, I've got a lot of hope that the next six episodes are going to see the Doctor, you know, really questioning, you know, um, am I this character who was uh, really scary at the end of Waters of Mars and who rallies armies um, in A Good Man Goes to War and rallies armies against me and the Pandorica opens, or am I this guy in a box, on the run, looking and exploring and trying to help people and being more anonymous. You know, I, I, I hear what you're saying, um, that, that, that everybody knows the Doctor can, can, can be a bit of a problem, um, because it's, he's had a thousand years to become known. Um, Again, but again, I think this brings it. This brings it back to what this story is actually about. Who are you? Who do you try to be? Do you understand that different people, different people, see you different ways? Um, if we bring this a little bit more into the actual uh, the mechanics of season six, but, but perhaps what, what I'd like to do is, is maybe go down through the stories, not not in great depth, but just to get a, you know a feel for what they meant at the time they were broadcast. Um, and I, I've got to start, obviously we start at the beginning with the impossible astronaut and. Although it had been telegraphed to me that uh, this was the the end of this half season would be a game changer, I'm still not entirely sure how that is the case. If I'm honest, um, the opening of the season was to- was was a complete game changer for me because suddenly the scale of the story mm. was was just widened up massively, and that might be just for the sake of having a few uh, a few extra hundred thousand pounds to go and do the, the filming and having those wide dollars, lenses. my good friend, dollars, 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 dollars. Well, this, it was suddenly. The show looked like I remembered it looking like like I remembered it looking when I was a child. Those those huge great pans across Death Valley. <laughs> all that wait a minute, stupid. wait. Are you telling me that you had crane shots of uh, Death Valley type uh, landscapes in the classic series that was made for three quid? Well, see, this is the thing. When I, I, obviously, back in the day when I was when I was watching the show growing up, all I could watch was what was being broadcast. So I could only watch, say, City of Death. Um, I can only watch Death of the Daleks, uh, sorry, Destiny of the Daleks. I can only see the things that are being broadcast. But what I had access to were the Target novelizations. Ah. And so I'd be re- so the first Doctor stories, the second Doctor stories, the third Doctor stories, and the early fourth Doctor stories. So robot things like the the giant robot, as it was, were huge, amazing, astonishing, and beautiful, some <laughs> spectacular stories. And then when I saw that, and 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 so when I when I watched them, um, say. Uh, Nightmare of Eden, which, on reflection, because I watched it last week, is pretty dreadful. <laughs> it, to, to me, it was still a huge, great story, it was a, and it was amazing, it was beautiful. All I had to be told as a child was that the TARDIS was infinite, and I just believed it and accepted it. It didn't matter that it was just one set. And then <laughs> finally, with the impossible astronaut, you see infinite. 
Yes, exactly that. I see the story in front of me that I've always seen in my head. And that, you know, the con- you know, massive congratulations to the production team for that alone. But then again, I guess that Stephen Moffat saying, right, this is what I saw as a child. Now we're going to show it to the children. God knows what they can see. It must be, oh, it must be incredible. Anyway, beside the point. Um, looking at the impossible astronaut suddenly the the the, the promise of scale of uh, cinem- of cinemat- cinematic storytelling is delivered in the impossible astronaut and it starts with that wonderful shot well it starts with that shot of the doctor being shot uh, did, when you f- did, did, when you first saw that or heard about it how how did you feel how did you react to that i was surprised um which means that I did actually manage to avoid a lot of these spoilers. Um, And um, it was an incredibly strong signal to me that the show wasn't going to hold anything back this year. We can look at Series 5 as a transition year for the franchise, get to know the Doctor, introduce the Doctor, play it ever so slightly safe to make sure that uh, fans who've been used to someone else uh, stay with us. And then you start series six with, boom, Doctor's dead. Um, you know, that was fearless. Mm. And um, that told me that uh, for good or ill, uh, Moffat was, is willing to um, upset some apple carts and uh, shake us out of our expectations yeah. in order to tell us a surprising story. This, you, you know what, you're exactly right. I mean, it, it, the, the worst thing that could happen for, the, for Doctor Who is that it stayed as it had been safe. We work within these boundaries. What you want is exactly that. Hello, I'm the producer. What we're going to do this season, first thing is we're going to shoot the Doctor. Uh, tell me, Tom, do you see S- Series 5 and Series 6 part of the same story, yes. or do you feel like we started a new one with Series 6? No, I think it, absolutely it's the same, sto- it's, it's the same story. Um, James made a very good point last time round, saying that when Stephen Moffat finally says, do you know what, that's me done, um, he'll leave not having overseen four seasons, or three or four seasons, he'll leave having overseen one huge story, which, which, which works for me. Um, the super elastic head of the... Uh, of the uh, was it the Atraxi of Prisoner Zero in the eleventh hour was really was was a strong visual cue to um, Jenny's super elastic head in uh, the Almost People a few weeks ago I thought um, the and from the moment season season five started the the tagline was there silence will fall and we're still finding out who are the silence what are they doing why are they there uh, we saw the lodger TARDIS in of course the lodger and we see we see that again in the eleventh hour so we've got individual little episodes going on but there is one big story being told which is great I mean it, it, with 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 uh, with um, say David Tennant there is a feeling of okay this is a Doctor's era but with Matt Smith I think we're going to get the feeling that yeah okay this is the Doctor's era this was the story this is the time when the Doctor X Y and Z it will be one big story but with with lots of little episodes in so look then we get into Day of the Moon Did you, do, do you remember what your reaction to that was? I was actually watching it in the quintessentially American manner which is to say that I was uh, screeching into the house trying to get to see the episode on time with a load of groceries <laughs> <laughs> and my kid had a had a friend over playing, and 
this is the this is the downside for uh, watching um, puzzle box television if uh, you don't have the opportunity to go into your man cave yeah. and turn out the lights and put on your headphones and focus entirely. Yeah. Um, it wasn't as successful for me. One thing about Day of the Moon, I think that this is a broader criticism that you can make um, about uh, Moffat is that we get much more intricate plotting. Mm -hmm. But, for example, in Day of the Moon, you have uh, the thrilling-looking opening sequence with uh, everybody getting gunned down or hunted down and then brought together, and we never get a clear explanation of why that is. It just looks cool, and we can fill in the blanks in our own head about why they've done this, but... We we're never it's never really explained to us why they have to do this ruse in order to investigate the silence. In the in the same way, uh, with uh, a good man goes to war, we are told that Amy has been Amy was kidnapped off screen. Mm. That we're we're told that it, it happened sometime between a, a, a between the Christmas story and um, the Impossible Astronaut. We have to fill that in for ourselves because there are really no clues in the text that could have told us that, right. other than um, Francis Barber looking through um, a, a portal yeah. at Amy and Day of the Moon. Whereas um, the much reviled Last of the Time Lords. Uh, we were told, we were given a Chekhov's gun early on in that two-parter about the telepathic Archangel Network. We were told exactly how it was going to be used. And as much as people loathed the messianic imagery of uh, David Tennant floating, Mm. cascading with psychic energy, we were given all of the clues that we needed. Um, The only time that RTD ever... um, in my mind, ever really didn't play fair with the audience was when Sarah Jane Smith suddenly had a uh, magical bauble that would uh, blow up the Dalek Crucible. Stephen Moffat doesn't always seed his surprises. He, he, he reveals the cool thing that's happening, but he doesn't always set it up for you. Okay, so and that would be a reference to the beginning of the uh, of, of Day of the Moon. Mm-hmm. As well, as well as the Amy thing, but yes. Okay, I, I see what you're saying. Um, is, that, is that crediting the audience with enough intelligence to fill it in, or do you think that it needs to be more explicit? If the point is a mystery novel, if the point is decoding and saying, aha, there, there it was. Mm. And, and it certainly, that certainly is something that Stephen Moffat is doing, oh, yes. but he may not be doing it all the time. But if it's a mystery novel, you've got to play fair with the audience. And you've got to be able to go back to those earlier episodes and say, aha, there was the clue. But it's not necessarily just a mystery novel. You know, the the puzzle box is there to be decoded. But you're right, uh, there is a place for the audience's imagination. Back when he was hanging out on forums, Stephen Moffat once explained that, you know, you can do several different things about the Doctor's ability to meddle in time or not, you know. You could go into a long and involved explanation of um, how he knows, how the Doctor knows what points in time are fixed and which can be changed, yada, yada, yada. Mm. Go through that long explanation and then, oh, look, monsters. Or you could go just straight to, oh, look, monsters. And that, that that's that's what he prefers. 
I see, this is the thing when it comes to I am a Stephen Moffat fan. I I I love the spectacle and carnival and circus of of Russell T uh, Russell T Davies. That was great, but I prefer. I should not say this is not saying one's better than the other. I prefer the Moffat version of it, the Stephen Moffat version of it, because it's it's a bit more like Tom. I'm going to credit you with enough intelligence to fill in the gap between one and two. Let's go to three now, and off we go. Um, you know, my only concern would be does that sh does that shut out? Um, people who don't have a whole world of, uh, don't have the first 45 years in their head? Does it shut out people who are casual viewers? And the reaction seems to be, no, it doesn't. It's, it, it's, it still seems to involve people. Um, but you, you but you watch this show with a child and with your partner. I mean, do they feel alienated from the show? My child, probably not, although he hasn't. we haven't had a lot of time to watch a lot of Series 6. Okay. Um, and, you know, it's... But that wouldn't. I don't think that would bother him. It's beside the point. You get the spectacle. You get the fun. You yeah. get the. You know. You get the doctor. It did alienate my spouse. Right. And um. I, and I'll. She'll probably be on a future uh, two minute time board explaining a little bit of that. So I don't want to put words into her mouth. Okay. But um. She's 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 a clever person. And anybody who says that she's just looking for dumb entertainment would um. I, you know. Send me your. I look forward to your letter. Send me your address. I'll come around, brash you properly. But this is, <laughs> but but this is not how she wants to be entertained. Right. And and remember that Doctor Who has transformed itself radically over its forty-seven years of history. You're not going to accuse Warren from Radio Free Scarrow of not being a true Doctor Who fan because he doesn't like Sylvester McCoy, right? No. Um, everyone's entitled to their opinion. You know? Everybody's entitled to their opinions, and um, it's okay for it, it's a it's a little different because this is current Doctor Who, mm. and you've got to give current Doctor Who a chance, a more more of a chance than um, old Doctor Who in terms of uh, choosing your favorites and choosing what you like. Mm. But um, you know, people watch television for different things. People. Um, Doctor Who wasn't always Hinchcliffe horror. No, no, it wasn't. It was, and, and this is and this is the thing. The show was the show to date has constantly evolved, which is the only way it remains on television. At the one point where it began to stagnate, and that's the word. It's at the one point where it wasn't changing in the appropriate way fast enough. It died, or at least it didn't. Well, it didn't die because we're still talking about it. But it, it had an extended absence of a leave of absence um, because it wasn't changing fast enough in the way that it needed to. And now we have the show that is changing. And and you're right. As we, people watch TV for different things, not, you know, not everyone's going to want to watch. Well, we'll say it again. Not everyone's going to want to watch. Um, a Babylon 5. But it, it's interesting to me that if you like Babylon 5, you're not... Have I understood this? You like Babylon 5, but you're not mad keen on the way that Doctor Who is being told because Do Doctor Who seems to be going towards the Babylon 5 model. Lots of things happening in lots of places. And we don't get the we don't get to see the, the overall weft and weave of it until somewhere near the end. Babylon 5 was uh, arc storytelling... Um, uh, the most rigorous arc storytelling that we've that we've had for a long time. You know, even Lost, they were figuring out things along the way. Doctor Who is different. Doctor Who is a little more um, hard to hard to wrap your brain around, and part of that is the essential mystery of the show and its uh, characters. Okay, um, so do, yeah, do, do you want to introduce the next segment? You can go for Curse of the Black Spot. Hated it. You hated it? Oh, no, 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 I didn't. It's, um, it was a story that, in retrospect, really doesn't fit because it is not an arc-heavy story. I almost wonder whether uh, future episodes 
if we have a uh, siren character as an antagonist, if that character is going to have to be integrated with the overall plot um, before uh, Stephen Moffat's done with his story, mm. it was enjoyable. I didn't hate it. You could blink and you you you, you could you could put it aside fairly easily. But I, this is the thing, though. What, what I was trying to say to the other two is that it's important because it just reminds you of all the things that you need to know about this about this long story that's being told. I.e., it tells you about duality. It tells you about two things existing in the same place at the same time, yet being slightly different. It tells you about here is a doctor, yet the yet to the uh, the sailors, she's a siren, but she's actually trying to save them, not kill them. Um, so so all, all the themes that, that are inherent in season six are in Curse of the Black Spot, but they're wrapped up in a very season 17-y way of telling it. It's, it. it's a run around, it's a costume drama, it's a pantomime, but it's really, but I, but I suppose you're right, you can do without it, but I, I, like, I like to see that it see it as something that reiterates the things that you're supposed to be paying attention to in the show, i.e. the duality, the things that you can't see still affecting the things that you can, and not, not and the fact that you can look at one thing in two totally different ways and still be correct about it. Um, and then, of course, the Doctor's wife. Now, I've got to thank you personally, actually, because one of the things that, over the last, say, 15 years, I've had the name Neil Gaiman sort of offered to me a lot, um, I've, I've listened in some cases in other cases I've completely dismissed it um, but I know that I knew that there was a lot riding on Neil Gaiman's episode of Doctor Who and I think it was an episode of the Two Minute Time Lord that brought me up to speed with who Neil Gaiman was and why I should be looking forward to this um, so thank you very much for that and, also, and I would say that to any other uh, any other uh, Doctor Who podcast listeners if you were if like me you weren't entirely sure why Neil Gaiman writing for Doctor Who was such a big deal go back and find the uh, the Neil Gaiman catch up episode of the Two Minute Time Lord because it tells you everything you need to know it's brilliant yeah <clears throat> that was uh, Two Minute Time Lord 207 mm. uh, with Tara O'Shea uh co-editor of Chicks Dig Time Lords and a friend of Neil's and uh, we went through we went through the stuff that he's written and um, you know it's uh, if, if you like The Doctor's Wife and you want to check out more of this guy's stuff yeah two, two Minute Time Lord 207 Perfect. I loved that episode so much yes yes <laughs> I mean too I know, I'm, I, there's, there's nothing <clears throat> there's nothing more that can be said that hasn't been said on other podcasts other than um, just Again, the scope of Series 6. Uh, Michael Pickwode, production designer, uh, he's the unsung hero of these first seven episodes because as epic as the stories have been, they look epic. And I can't see how he's done it on as on a shrinking budget the way he has, but this show has never looked better. And The Doctor's Wife, perfect. Yep, yep, yep. I mean, it seemed to be that you've got all of the... Uh, all the things that make not just Doctor Who great, but British drama storytelling great. Small cast, acting absolutely beautifully in a very... In a very in, you're right, the scale of it's huge, but each one of those sets was absolutely tiny. It was gorgeous. So you've got uh, r- brilliant actors acting brilliantly in a really intense way. I mean, and, that, and, that's the, and that's the thing that I noticed about that particular story. Everything was intense. From the moment Saran Jones showed up and started referring to the Doctor as her thief, everyone must have known from that moment on. Um, it was, oh, it's just a, a, a beautiful story. A beautiful story that's being told. And, uh, and, and a bit of a return to some of the character-driven stuff that I appreciate in that we, you know, it's all about the Doctor's relationship to the TARDIS. You learn so much about... Um, Rory and Amy's relationships to each other mm-hmm. and what they fear of each other. Uh, oh my God, the um, 
the, the, the corridor stuff could have been dreadful, uh, and, and yet, no, it's, it's, it's scary as heck. Now, I think you're right. It, it, that, those things are about what, Ro, about what Rory and Jamie... Uh, Rory and Jamie, good Lord. Uh, what Rory and Amy fear the most. You know, Rory, that she'll leave him again. And Amy, that she'll, they'll finally turn around and bite her head off. <laughs> Without question, the Doctor's Wife was my favorite episode of this first half of the series. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I don't blame you. It was funny. It was frightening. It was engaging. It played with the mythology. It reset some other things. Um, I've got to say, actually, that the character of the Corsair, um, or the Corsair's arm, I should say. I, I'm just waiting for the moment where I go to a convention and I see someone who's been brave enough to have that tattooed on their forearm. Um, because I know the day is coming. Pressing on, after the magnificent Doctor's Wife, we had the Almost People. Um, now, this was, the, this was the last episode that you got to see on time, wasn't it? Oh, the Rebel Flash, yeah, part one. Everybody said that this was the uh, the purest expression of classic Doctor Who yet. I was surprised to love it as much as I did for that reason, especially part one. Part two didn't didn't follow through as nicely as I would have liked. It didn't uh, play with identity as much as it could have. Um, because and, and there was too much. You know, we're talking about this series' theme being identity. And yet, uh, so much of part two was all was basically base under siege, war posturing, and people. If they are, th- I'm sorry. If you're a team of five people, you don't talk about going to war. You don't use that kind of language. Mm. Um, but uh, sorry, uh, that that still ticks me off every time. But no, um, it was especially especially the first part. It was. Um, so well structured, uh, so moody, um, and so so character oriented. Actually, in um, revealing you know the conflict between the gangers and the human as being existential, not just uh, people and prosthetics over here, good guy humans over here. Now let's fight. You know, classic who or not, I loved it to bits. Yeah, do, do you know there's there's a pace to it, a color to it. There were uh, again to me, it seems that there was. Uh, reward for being a, a, a long-term fan of the new series, um, and reward for being a long-term fan of the of the whole of the old series as well. It was great. I love the pacing of it. I love the color of it. It was dark. I I do yeah. love the darkness in Doctor. Yeah. Um. And uh, I also liked uh the fact that even though it was not written by Moffat, it was absolutely in- integral um to the to the arc of the series. Uh, in the same way that, uh, you know, less successfully, but uh, Chibnall's two-parter last year with the Silurians was also in- integral. Uh, Moffat, whether he's working closely with his other writers or whether he's inserting scenes or whatever, you know, everything counts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the, the, you know there's, there's too much money invested in this. You can't have... You can't be wasting time. You can't be wasting time on storytelling and things that don't count. You're right. I mean, the duality is in there. And again, we needed all of this. We needed the almost people and the following story, the Rebel Flesh, to understand what was going on with the gangers, to understand what was going on with the flesh, even though it had been going on for a long time. Um, so I like the idea that as new ideas are revealed to us, they explain the things we need to know in order to understand the next bit as well, which takes us all the way back to the beginning of the podcast, uh, in as much as well, okay. You've got information, but it's not understanding. You've got to sit through and understand exactly what's going on to actually get the full payoff. Um, 
I, I, I actually quite like the strength of the supporting characters in this two-parter. Um, I thought Cleves was really good, and I thought the um, I forget his name the um, the Scots the Scots father, if you like, um, was particularly strong because you know he was the, there. There was he making the making the link that says, look. That might be a ganger, but that's as good as you're going to get. And he is me to all intents and purposes. Off we go. So yeah, I I, I really enjoyed this, this this story because it was it was like having waited since 2005 for something. I, I don't get me wrong; it's been Doctor Who all the way from uh, from episode from Rose. It's been Doctor Who. I know that. But the almost people in Rebel Flesh was the return of what I absolutely recognise and embrace wholeheartedly as this is Doctor Who. The Doctor is cleverer than everybody else. He is playing about. He doesn't quite know what's going on in some places, but he will sort it all out. He's got authority, he's got gravitas, he's got presence. The companions trust him or they don't trust him. They're frustrating. It, it's perfect. It, in those two episodes is everything I know about Doctor Who and it's, it's lovely. <laughs> We, we've, we've sort of reached through um, the uh, the almost people and rebel, the rebel flesh, um, and we get. To, although there's one there's one question I would ask about this. You mentioned earlier on Hinchcliffe and horror uh, back in the old Tom Baker days. Um, do do you feel that, that the element of horror is returning to Doctor Who? How do you feel about that? Oh, uh, definitely. Um, and it's actually you know it's it's been an issue in my household. Uh, my my son is nine years old, but he's uh, sensitive nine years old so uh, I've been accused of being an overprotective parent but no I know my child mm. there are aspects of uh, uh, Moffat Doctor Who that my child is not ready for um, I mean he was uh, a, a year or two ago he was weirded out by the Gelf in the Unquiet Dead so you know yeah. that you know the silence is a whole nother level after that mm. um it's just it's just uh, dudes and prosthetics, but it's the execution of them. Moffat has talked a lot about horror being an essential element for Doctor Who, and I understand where that comes from. Um, I know that you know behind the sofa is part of the lexicon, and that the Daleks were scary as heck in 1963. Old Doctor Who wasn't uniformly that way. It wasn't uniformly horror oriented. You can't look at Remembrance of the Daleks and think horror you think um action adventure and uh douglas adams you you think you think of humor while this is a return to what doctor who has long been recognized for the, the previous four years weren't not doctor who either no no, no not so not i mean they, they, they clearly they, it clearly was the show but suddenly it was making me jump it was actually yeah. it was making me think. Oh, I like that. I, th- I think when when Jenny's super plastic head came flying through a toilet through through the toilet door cubicle, it was like, oh, that just made me jump. I'm scared now. <laughs> um, which is great. I mean, I, I I haven't been scared by anything for the longest time, and to have it, and to have that sensation back through Doctor Who, perfect. <laughs> which probably says an awful lot about the films I've been watching lately. But there you go. Um, well, but now just keep in mind that you don't have to deal with nine year olds' nightmares and uh, being awakened at three a.m. Yeah. Exactly that. Exactly that. I mean, and that's the thing. It's one thing for me to say, yes, as Robert Holmes used to say, you'll scare the kiddies. But it's another thing for for, for parents to actually have to deal with that. Uh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay. Yeah, but that yes, but but uh, again, that's my job. That's not Moffat's job. See, now that, that to me is the attitude is is the appropriate attitude. There is um, a certain level of person who believes that the TV should should be self monitoring and that it should be that 
um, nothing scary, nothing inappropriate should be shown at, at, at certain times. Clearly, I'm not saying let's have um, uh, erotica being shown at four o'clock in the afternoon. But it, to me, it's the parents' job to know their children, to know what they can and can't contend with, and to be able to say, "Look, this is not appropriate for you to watch." I remember the I remember the, the debate going over, over going on over my own head: Is Doctor Who too scary for children to watch? And in some cases, for a season, the answer was yeah, in my house was yes, it is. So I didn't get to see Doctor Who until season seventeen, because although season sixteen was on, I wasn't allowed to watch it because it was deemed to be too scary. Um, then it got to season 17 and I thought, okay, fair enough, I can watch Destiny of the Daleks. It didn't freak me out, so I was allowed to continue. Um, but yeah, but that was my parents doing what a parent should do, which is to look at the TV and make the decision for themselves rather than expecting the TV to make the decision for them. It's just, a, it's just an, inanim- an inanimate object. A good man goes to war. What do you think? I think if you listen to Two Minute Time Lord podcasts backwards, you hear the voice of Trevor Ginch. Mm. Because I adored the first two-thirds of uh, A Good Man Goes to War, and I felt let down by the um, by the ending, the resolution, the cliffhanger. Um, I, I, I said earlier in the podcast today that uh, I felt that the Doctor didn't fall far enough. Um, so I don't get what and, was going on with that. I mean, how in, how in, in what way did he actually fall? I mean, I saw him exactly, make a mistake. Exactly, but... he didn't. But we have been promised... Re- we have been promised repeatedly that uh, the you know by River Song that the Doctor would soar to great heights and then fall so far that this would be the Demon's Run would be his darkest hour. How? How was it, his darkest hour? Uh, he uh, apparently because he sat slumped in a chair for a little bit thinking about the fact that he was uh, that he was regarded as a warrior. Apparently that was it. You know. The Waters of Mars was far more uh, soul-crushing for the Doctor yeah. than this. And I have to assume, and I have to hope, that Moffat is, Moffat is playing the long game here, as he always does, and that uh, we're going to see the Doctor dealing with the repercussions of bad decisions or and, and things like that. The first two-thirds of the episode, we get the spectacle. We get the space opera. It is basically Moffat saying... You know, I don't mind this RTD stuff, frankly. Mm. Moffat's strength in characterization, you know, I may quibble about uh, characters being used as plot points rather than as characters, but when he introduces characters, you know them instantly. It's his comedy writing chops, mm. you know, um, the, the Victorian um, the Victorian detectives. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I love uh, I love the big. That. <laughs> oh my god! The I, I'm on the bandwagon. I want a spinoff for them. Mm. Uh, the big blue guy, the um, the Santara nurse. Yes. Uh, which, uh, sorry, Trev, but it he was a great character. Of course he was. Of course he was. I, I was punching the air. I was thoroughly enjoying it. And um, although I was, I, I felt a little let down by the cliffhanger and resolution. Okay. I've got hope, which is what you have to have. Not expectations, <laughs> but hope that uh the next six episodes are going to uh give us uh what we were uh what we were essentially promised by River Song. Yeah. That the doctor is going to have this uh crisis that he's going to have to come through. Do you know I think you're right. Um and I totally agree with you that I, there was more danger, more self-realization, more panic, more falling from grace in the at the end of Waters of Mars than there was at the end of this. Um, to be honest with you, the doctor's like, okay, fine, I know who you are, and I'm going to get the title now. You sort it all out. Bye. Where at the end of 
Waters of Mars, the old man watched someone that had come to respect him, come to despise him, and then commit suicide. That's that's hard work. That's really hard work. <laughs> As opposed, you know, this, the, the whole time, the whole timey wimey thing with River and um, with River and Melody again, because I saw it coming. It wasn't such a great thing. It's nice to be vindicated, but you know, um, <laughs> but it, I just, I just don't see how that how it was such a great fall. I, I really don't. If 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 it had led to um, the death of one of the companions, then yeah, okay, then that's a great fall. Um, for anyone who's a fan of Big Finish, if you listen to uh, a story called "To the Death," that's big things happening to the Doctor, and that's the Doctor falling a long way. This, you know, Chip, as you rightly say, just seems to be the old man slumped in a chair, going, "Oh, I might have to mend my ways. Never mind." And off he goes. You know, it's just like, okay, that's a bit weird. Because as soon as uh, as soon as River Song is revealed as Melody Pond, we know the baby's going to be okay. Yeah. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. Although, it does set up in my... I know, time can be rewritten. Yes, exactly that. I'm, I'm astonished that the old man's forgotten this. It can be rewritten. River, although we think we know how River dies, it can happen another way. When I was into uh, the fandom for the um, ad- adaptation of the anime Robotech, there was a joke, there was a common joke in the fandom that uh, if there was a plot inconsistency... It could be explained by the mystical fuel behind these mecha called protoculture. So if uh, if something's wrong, you just say protoculture. I hope we're not getting to the point where if something's wrong, if something's wrong, time can be rewritten. Do you know? I think I think you're right. There's a little scene in uh, The Simpsons where oh good lord, well I think it's Lucy. It's it's a it's a convention, a science fiction convention, and a nerd stands up and says, "In episode five of season six, a wizard lifts up his his staff and just does something. It's very very irritating." And the character on stage says, "Do you know what? Whenever you hear anything like that, a wizard did it." So you know, that, 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 I wonder if that will be the way that stories are are retold inside the Doctor Who universe. Right, do you know, we have to wrap this up. Um, what can I say? Chip, thank you for that. I've really enjoyed having this discussion and listening to your points, actually. Thank you. It's been a load of fun, Tom. It's been great sharing the virtual mic with you. <laughs> at last, at last. Listen, just, um, I, just, uh, just, just one final reminder. If you could just remind people where they can hook up with the immense, the lovely, the incredible Two Minute Time Lord podcast. At TWOMinuteTimeLord.com. No punctuation. Perfect. All right, chaps, thanks for hanging out with us for another episode of the DWP. Uh, we'll be back very shortly doing a fan reaction episode. Um, also, it's about time we told you what went on in the last quiz, too. So, what can I say? Thanks for stopping by. We'll see you very soon. Take care. Goodbye. That was the Doctor Who Podcast, which you can find at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. If you have any feedback, please send it in to feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and via the Doctor Who Podcast forums. Thank you for listening. Take care.